Welcome to the Counter Narrative Podcast, a show designed to change the way we talk and think about education. By sharing stories of successes and triumphs, we aim to challenge the dominant narrative that often negatively portrays our disenfranchised populations. I'm your host, Charles Williams, an educator for 15 years, a current school principal in Chicago, and an educational consultant. Let's get started. In this episode, I chat with Andre Dowdy, whose educational journey truly began after hearing Dr. Jawanza Kunjufu state, if you observe children, they will teach you how to teach them. That phrase shifted Andre's philosophy of education by observing the students in his own classroom at the elementary, secondary, and postgraduate levels, he differentiated curriculum and projects based on his students' interests. His workshops and professional development seminars involve high-energy, practical ways to use today's strategies, collaboration, and fun stories to help connect the content to the attendees' lives. He enjoys inspiring all through his workshops, speaking engagements, seminars, and embedded coaching experiences. During our conversation, we reflect on the impact that the pandemic is having on education by exploring several questions. Why would we compare this year to others? What is it exactly that we are trying to push? And why are we trying to normalize this? While we do not propose to have answers to these divisive ponderings, we do our best to offer our own insights to develop appropriate responses. We also address head-on the very heart of this podcast by challenging common notions about our urban students. Andre insists that we look beyond the deficiencies and instead explore the root reasons that so many of our students are behind. Only when we acknowledge and accept the historical inequities can we begin to see the current reality. I hope that you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. Hello and welcome to the show, Andre. I am so excited to have you on board. I, I've spent some time looking at your videos. I love them. I, I've come across you on other podcasts, and so I'm super excited to have you here on the Counter Narrative Podcast. But Andre, before we jump into things, can you share a little bit of, with the audience about who you are, what you're up to, and maybe something interesting about yourself? Yeah, um, what's up, man? I appreciate you having me on. You know, just here conversing and proselytizing education for all. Uh, Andre Dowdy, born and raised Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Uh, I was the kid in the classroom, always making the beats, always in trouble, always humming and whistling and then singing. And, you know, the pencil was the snare drum and my hand was the bass on the table. I was that kid. And um, one teacher kind of noticed the gift and helped me uh, get into band and from there, I found out that I was pretty gifted in uh, music. Uh, after that, I went to an HBCU, the only one in Oklahoma called Langston University. I love that school. Uh, and from there, I wanted to become a teacher. And so here I am now, 20 years in education, uh, through elementary education and some administration and some college work and all those things. And now I get to help 
teachers and administrators and districts see things from a different perspective and be a voice, an advocate for, you know, all students, no matter the color, the race or the size. So, yeah, man, it's it's been a really cool journey. Uh, you asked about something people may not know. So like one year in my classroom, I had over 50 students in my fourth grade class for the entire year. And so imagine that that a single, that, a single classroom, a single classroom, general education, 50 over 50 students from, let's say, about September 13th, 14th, all the way to the end of the school year, man. Wow. Wow. How did how did you handle that? So there was two of us and we were team teaching and we were, you know, like I had the morning group. We'd switch. You know, she had the afternoon group. And then one day she called those students a racial slur. And the students turned on her as they should have. And from there, she was like, I don't have time for this. <laughs> she just bounced, man. She she was out. She was a sick leave and she was gone. <laughs> wow. So at our school, at that school, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's that type of a school, you know, the school where nobody wants to teach at, the school the substitutes run from. So you can't really find teachers. And I, so, I completely understand. I, I've been in those situations myself. Yeah. So you roll up your sleeves, man, and you like, okay, check this out. It's about to look really different. But uh, I promise I'm going to teach you all if you can promise to me that you'll work hard. And, man, it was such a rewarding year. No lie, I was dead tired by the end of every day. No lie, at lunchtime, a voice was going out. We looked like a, a HBCU marching band walking down the hall, going like to PE or lunch or whatever. Uh, but man, yeah, it was it was dope. Uh, I know that that after that year, I knew I was a great teacher. No one had to tell me anything. I knew that I was a phenomenal teacher because um, you still differentiate and you still got different students reading on different levels. You know, you still have to make sure every student is accounted for and learning and no child is left behind, you know, all the jargon and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, I love that year, man. That year was, was phenomenal. You know, it's, it's funny, right? Cause we, we look back and we think about all the things we learned and we're like, Oh, I was great, but I would never want to do that again. Right. Oh man, who you telling? If I knew now what I knew then, that school district would have paid me double. I would have been on channel. I would have been on NBC, ABC. I probably would have been like the teacher, the national teacher of the year. I don't. I don't know. Uh, yeah, man. I probably would have had a movie after me. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All those are jokes. Uh, but yeah, man. If I knew now then. Um, like, I, I knew that I, I took care of the students and the parents. I knew that the parents respected me. I knew that a lot of the parents were working two, three jobs. So, you know, you really, really work with the parents and you just adjust like you're on a constant adjusting and being flexible the entire day and night because you have 50 students who needed their own learning in their own way. And so to be able to have that mindset for the parents and the teachers and the people who want the data. Like I said, man, by the end of that year, I, I knew like, yeah, I'm pretty good at teaching here. Yeah. Well, Andre, you know, you, you, you bring up a perfect 
uh, way to transition here. So, you know, those classrooms, like you mentioned, the, the ones that nobody wants to be in, the ones that, yeah. you know, you, you struggle filling, right? Those schools, it's not even classroom, it's those schools, right? And, and they typically have these narratives surrounding them, right? The, these negative conversations, this school is only good for this, or the kids there aren't any good. So, you know, I have to ask you, you know, you've spent some time, you just talked about how you were able to maneuver a classroom with over 50 kids in it. Yeah. So in what ways have you seen or in what ways are you actively attempting to change the narrative around education, especially with schools like this? Yeah. The funny thing is, and was, I won't call it funny, but the really interesting thing is those students wanted to learn. When you start digging behind the scenes and you get to the root, like the branch of the problem is, you know, these students are low babies or they're one, two years behind grade level or they can't read, they can't write, whatever their can'ts are. But then like when I started to look at their files or cumulative file folders, I realized that that entire fourth grade class, like their first grade year, they had like three substitutes for the entire year. So they really wasn't getting the learning and the teaching from a from a teacher just being there, right? Their second grade year, like one of the teachers quit mid-year and they couldn't refill it. And so their third grade year was the year that they actually were trying to learn how to read, but you're not going to really keep up or catch up in just one year. There's a stat that says for every one year of an ineffective teacher, it takes two years to catch them up. Mm -hmm. And that's from Dr. Juwanza Kanjufu. So here I am as a fourth grade teacher and I'm looking at their data. I'm looking at their stuff. And the more and more I'm looking at it, I'm saying, it's not that these students can't, they never had the opportunities. They never had consistent teachers enough to actually teach. And so here I am like, oh, we're we about to go somewhere here now. Like, it's not that you have learning deficiencies, even though a lot of them did, it's you just never had that information presented to you, taught to you in a fun, different way for you to learn. So the first four or five months, man, by, by February, March, these same students that came in two years below grade level, they were doing uh, addition and subtraction with um, fractions. We're multiplying fractions. We're really digging to fractions. But they were the same ones at the beginning of the year using tally marks to subtract and to add. So the mindset was the shift. It, and, and that was like the greatest thing for me. It's like, oh, these students, I don't have to start on first grade reading because they are really struggling. It's they never know what a diphthong was. They didn't know that you could blend letters and words. They didn't. Ah, they just never had that capacity because it was never taught to them. So that was the opening of the door. And so now when I'm able to talk to teachers or talk to parents or be in these conferences and things like that, that's the conversation we have. Let's stop looking at the branches of we're three and four years behind. Get to that root first. What is the root reason these students aren't learning? What is the root Maslow before Blooms? What is that root? Once we get that root down, oh man, the sky is the limit. And the majority of the time, the root is in our schools who are low, they don't have consistent teachers. The teacher's there for half a year leaves. Teacher's there, takes maternity leave, never comes back. Teacher's positions were never filled. 
And so they have long-term subs coming in, going out, coming in, going out. Students are being split into classes. Like all of these things play a huge factor in grade levels. And once again, going back to that stat, for every one year of an ineffective teacher or for every one year of a teacher not being consistent in that class, it's going to take about two years to catch them up. So now imagine around this entire world of ours, if if a class had two ineffective teachers for two years, mm-hmm. man, just big things like that. So now moving forward, anytime I'm at any school, uh, no matter if it's a title school or if it's not a title school, if it's a gifted and tab, if it's a specialty, a magnet, any of them, it doesn't matter. Like, where are our kids? Find that root cause for them and then let's build from there. Andre, you know, absolutely. You, you, you hit this right on the head, right? That whenever we're having conversations, we know many of our students are behind. Right. So, so throwing that information out there, that's not news. That doesn't help anybody. But like you said, trying to figure out what's the why. Yeah. Why is this child behind? Is it is it a, a, a deficiency? You know, are, are they... You know, are they suffering from some type of issue that that's not going to allow them to learn or have they simply not been presented the opportunities to gain that understanding? And you know what? I I, I was so upset the other day. I, w- I was reading something and they talked about the fact that right now, right, we're all doing this remote learning. You know, yeah. we, we, we know or hybrid or whatever people are doing across the country, you know, and, and so what we do know is that it's not working. Right. This is going to be a horrible year overall. And so now all of a sudden there's this conversation around, oh, well, maybe we just have to accept the fact that students are going to be maybe a year behind. And I was like, wait a second. That has been our reality forever. Ever. It's always been an issue. You know, it's been focused on, well, that's a problem. That's why they can't learn. But now because it's everybody's problem. Now it's, well, maybe we should look at this a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so I'm, I'm glad you said that, you know, looking in, figuring out the why, the history, and, and understanding that and utilizing that to your advantage. And so, have a, you know, what are some ways, I guess, that a teacher, um, you know, who, who's sitting there with some kids, you know, who might, bu- might be behind and have these formulated some ideas in their mind, what are some tips or strategies that you might have for them? On, on, you know, addressing those, I guess, issues they see in their classrooms. Yeah. One of the things that I actually told a uh, a school, well, was, uh, the administrative team was, it, it was, it, it's it's hard to, to admit, but like, these are the rough conversations we got to have. We know that this is a pandemic. <laughs> like, we know this is something that has never happened before. So it would be very idiotic of us to try to rank and rate what this year looks like compared to other years. Yes, we know that our students are going to be a year, two years behind. So why are we trying to push seven and eight months of curriculum in one or two months to catch them up? Like that is the entire narrative. You know they are behind. You know that a lot of these students are having difficulties. You know that a lot of the web uh uh Wi-Fi signals and and a lot of the hotspots are not available, are not working. You know that some of the blended learning is not happening. You know that some of your teachers are struggling teaching online. 
They had issues just with email, but now you got them trying to rock all these LMSs and they are struggling. So why are we trying to normalize like this year is a normal year? It's not. And just letting them sit in that for a moment. This is not normal. Why are we trying to push our teachers to act like this is normal? It's not. You have kids. I, I'll give you an example. I had a student that I was mentoring, high school student. And this high school student, and you know, we were doing Zoom check-ins because I knew the little homie. And so, like, I knew homie's mama, hey, let's, I'm, I'm here to help just in any capacity that I can. Let's go. You know, here, here's my Zoom. Let's let's set up a time. All that good stuff. Well, homie called in, and homie is living with his grandparents. Um, long story of some things we won't get into, but homie is living with his grandparents, with his baby brothers and sisters as well. So it's like three of them plus the grandparents all in the house. So he uh, he zooms me up one day, and I just see it in his face. He is hurting. He is struggling. So, hey, man, your, your energy looks off. What's up? Talk to me. And basically what he said was grandparents have COVID. Mm. His work, his schoolwork all online, they're wanting three and a half hours worth of work. He's got baby brother, baby sister in elementary school, and they're required to be online to learn too. So he's like the man of the house, but he is scared. Straight up, if grandma and grandpa got it, that mean I got it. That mean our baby brothers and sisters got it. I still got to cook. I still got to clean. I'm I'm trying to take care of them and my baby brothers and sisters and still trying to head the house. And I still have three hours worth of work that I got to do. Mr. Dowdy, what do I do? And I mean, he's almost full breakdown. And so we did some breathing exercises and I just had to tell him straight up. This is not normal. First, breathe. Mm-hmm. You're in AP courses. I get it. But breathe. This is not normal. Second, let's talk to your teachers. Let's get the email together. CC me, CC me on it. Like, let's have these conversations because a lot of our educators just don't understand how difficult these times are. And some of them do understand, but they're just trying to pretend like everything is peachy king and it's not. So that's exactly what we did. We got on the uh, phone with the with the teacher, the counselor, the principal, told them what was going on. And all of them were like, wow, we did not know. Exactly. Because this is not normal. And so over this entire year, we as educators have to keep that at the forefront. We cannot do school like we normally do school, expecting 2017 and 18 type of a learning in a pandemic. It's just not going to happen until we can all get a vaccine and it can be clear and we can go back to school with no mask on and any of those other things that we used to do back in 2017-18. We cannot approach this entire year like it is normal. So some of the things that I tell the teachers is still teach to your heart's content. Still teach like your hair is on fire. Still give them 100% of everything that you've got. Still have like the, um, the, the learning modalities in place. Still make sure that your babies are not left behind. Still have PLCs. Still do all of those things. But just know you are not going to get those 2017-18 results. 
And if you are thinking that you are, you got to change your mindset. Because the most important thing right now, in my opinion, it isn't academics. Mm -hmm. It is still the well-being of our students. For the administrators, it is still the well-being of our teachers. Man, like I said, I'm living in Oklahoma, and uh, we've got a few districts who are fighting opening back up five days a week. And in Oklahoma, the average teacher was like 48, 49. And the teachers that I know, the teachers that I've been seeing, the teachers that I've been serving for X amount of years, they are in their mature ages Mm -hmm. versus the younger 20s. And they do have complications. They have been taking the medications. They are in the game of teaching because they love the kids. But now they they have like the roadblock of, man, if we open five days a week, like I, I would probably get COVID. And these are real conversations like we really need to continue to have. I know I keep saying it, but man, nothing about this year is going to be normal. No, absolutely. You know, and it, I, I, I wonder sometimes <clears throat> if people are thinking long term, like you're pointing out, you know, we've pushed to open. Like here in Chicago, we're not open. We're still doing full remote. We have a really strong union who is backing this idea of making sure things are protected, making sure that systems and processes are, are in place. But like you pointed out, We've seen where districts have pushed to reopen and, and teachers are like, no, I, I'm going to take my early retirement or I'm going to go into this other career. And we're already experiencing a shortage in teachers, you know, and it's like, wait, what do you think's going to happen? Do you yeah. really think that we're going to fill all these positions, you know, when you have all these kids in the classroom? Otherwise, you're going to have Andre situations of 50 plus kids, right? With social distancing. And, and here's here's the reality. Just in Oklahoma last year, the last two or three years. We've been having emergency certified teachers take the rain. It's been a 3,000 teacher shortage for at least the last four to five years. So we've been calling on emergency certified, alternative certified. Anybody who want to teach, just come on. We'll get you certified over X amount of years. Like we are in that, like we know we're that drastic. Now you're saying we're going to still try to open up schools? full-time five days a week and so the exodus of teachers who are thinking about moving and leaving and retiring man that attrition rate is going to be even more and so we as administrators we we as educators really really need to think things through and think prospectively i can appreciate how you said in chicago man y'all doing full online here in oklahoma We've got some districts doing like an A-B schedule where Monday, Tuesday, half of the, of, the, of the class is there. Wednesday is supposed to be like this deep cleaning day. Then Thursday and Friday is supposed to be for the B schedule. Um, but I've getting, I've been getting word from Little Birds that the deep cleaning isn't happening, that a lot of the parents want the students back five days a week. Not because they believe it's safe, but because they want the babysitting. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's man, it's, it's bananas. So I've I've heard a lot of teachers say, if they ever decide to go back full time, like they are thinking about doing in January, a lot of these teachers said they're going to leave. So then, like you said, that's going to end up hurting the students even more. That's going to put more pressure on the teachers who are stuck behind. And they're going to have classrooms of 40, 
Is that what we really want for education? Or do we want to provide different perspective, think things through, and just say that this year is not going to be a normal year? Mm-hmm. You, you know, Andre, I want to I want to go back and touch on something because you've you've made a comment that that I mean is all over, right? It, whenever I'm in a Twitter chat or I'm in a panel or whatever it is, I hear this phrase, right? Maslow before Bloom, right? And, and so, if I just want to ask you, what are your thoughts here? Is that if so many educators believe in this, right, or at least they're out there touting it, what is it that's pushing them in the other direction with their actual, you know, behaviors and their actions. You know, we talk about this idea that we got to make sure that our kids are taken care of, that we got to, you know, focus on those things. And yet, and yet we see during this time, as you pointed out, I'm going to push for, as if this is a normal thing, I'm going to, I'm going to push you into the same routines and activities and expectations as we have in years past. So what, what are some of the reasons you believe that educators are holding on to that mindset despite what is clearly evident to us right now. Yeah. So, and, and what I love about this, it's not all educators. Like I have been seeing a lot of the educators finding their voice during this pandemic and really speaking up to that, like, man, our students and our babies or our, our children, our, our community, we know what they need. Why are we still pushing, you know, standardized tests or trying to push test prep when we know that the students just need the basic things? I'll give you an example. I had a student. I won't call her name. I had a student. I, I, I gave up my cell phone to all of the students when I was teaching because I wanted them, if they ever needed to call for homework help or if the grandparents and the parents or the guardians ever needed to call for homework help, hey, this is my number. Let's get it. I'm here to help you and assist you. Because, I mean, I get it. The way that I taught was a little different than the old school, right? And so I remember this one student calling like at 1030, 1045 at night one night. Now, my rule is you can't call past 830. <laughs> you know, that's that's family time. I'm getting the babies ready for sleep. You know, all that thing. This 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 student calls like at like at 1045, I just remember it was after the, the news. And I'm like, I'm about to give this student the blues. Because you know better not to call me at no 1040. I mean, I was, I was ready. I pick up the phone. I say, hello. And she was whispering, Mr. Dowdy, what do I do? And you hear the baby crying in the background. And so now my heart just switches differently from me fussing you out to there's a need. So uh, I know I recognize immediately this, the student's voice. The student has a baby brother, newborn. And I say, okay, what's, what's going on? I'm hearing you whispering. Uh, where are you? And she says, I'm in the closet and I'm hiding with the baby and the baby has a pacifier in. And I'm like, holy moly, what's going on? Talk me through it. Let's, let, let's, what's going on? And she said, boyfriend came home drunk and upset. And so I immediately know where this is going. Are you safe? Yes. Is baby safe? Yes. But baby's a little fussy. Okay. Keep the pacifier in the baby. Uh, you know, put your finger on it so you can kind of wiggle it around. So the baby continues to suck on it and just stay quiet as possible. Uh, then in the background of us having the conversation, I, I, I'll never forget the scream. I heard the loudest scream I've ever heard in my life. And it came through my phone, the loudest heart wrenching scream ever. 
And I said, holy moly. So what's going on? What's, what happened? What happened? Can you look outside of the window? Like the scream is coming from outside. Can you, can you peek your head? Like, and I'm teaching her how to peek through the, through the blinds without moving the blinds. And she basically told me that it was boyfriend slamming her mom's head in the car door. Now, I in, in that neighborhood you can't call the police, or if you do, police are gonna take their sweet little time to get there. Um, they're in an apartment complex. <sighs> okay, so in real time, here's the plan: Do you have somebody in which you can trust? She said yes. I said, okay, I know your family is not the only one who heard the loud scream. Can you wrap up baby in a blanket? You go to that house in which you can trust. She said, yes. I said, stay on the phone with me. She stays on the phone with me. Uh, luckily, the, the family that she could trust was right next door, right across the, the, the walkway. Uh, so she goes there. She's safe. She says, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And so I said, okay, now that you're safe with that family, you and the baby stay there. Don't open the door for anything. I'm I'm glad you're safe. Uh, I'll call my police friends, see what we can do, get some people there, go for it. So we do that. All of that happens. The next day, she shows up to school. Her, her eyes are as red as a fire truck. You can tell that this baby is dead tired. I instantly know she's not learning anything today. Mm-hmm. What she needs is some rest. What she needs is some food. What she needs is a peace of mind. She needs some type of normalcy that is not, I already know I'm not going to fuss at her and her missing homework. I, already, I, I just know that. And so I see her. She gets off the bus. She's in breakfast line. I walk up to her. I give her a hug. You know, this is all pre-COVID. I give her a hug. Hey, I'm so glad that you are here. I skip her to the front of the line, get your breakfast, go to my classroom. Here's my keys. Get you some sleep. Like eat, just put the trash in the in the trash can in the room, get you at least a good 20, 25. And so she does that. And I'm trying to tell the rest of the staff, like, here's the situation with this young lady today. Whatever you do, don't mess with her. Don't touch her. Don't leave her alone. I'm looking at all of her friends. Hey, friends, check this out. You probably already heard she had a rough night. Love on her today. Leave her alone. I'm looking at some of her other friends who do hair. Hey, I got rubber bands and and think like I got, we'll, we'll do her hair when she wake up. Like all of the things. This is the Maslow. This is the security. This is the, the rest, the, the physiological. This is the bottom stuff of maslow she uh she goes to the classroom i mean she's getting some good sleep i go in there check on her right before school starts wake her up uh homie was snoring i mean she's getting some of the best sleep she can get uh i thought i had prepped every teacher that she has i thought i did i thought i you know i made that really well clear to the vice principal principal everybody like hey today is not a good day don't mess with her because she gonna snap like this is the day you just love on her if she doesn't have your homework, it's cool. Love on her. Well, she goes to my first hour. Everything is great. We got her hair done. They put her in some braids, made her look nice and pretty for her. Like, you know, she's feeling she's feeling better. She's eating. She's gotten some sleep. She looks decent. Second hour, she goes to second hour. 
And second hour teacher fusses her out because she didn't do homework. She cusses out the second hour teacher. I hear the cussing in my room way down the hall. So I run out the room. No, no, no. You know, I'm screaming, no. So now other teachers are coming out the hall and I go and I try to protect her and other teachers too. And uh, this, this, the teacher who, who's doing the fussing, oh, she needs to get out of here. She's cussing at me. She's suspended for X amount of days. And I'm like, she is not. And so now we are teacher fighting in this hallway and everybody's peeking out, you know, peeking out the head. Long story short, she didn't get suspended. Long story short, when we had a debriefing as at the staff meeting that afternoon, that's when the teacher finally realized what had happened. And so now that teacher's mindset flipped, paradigm shift. Well, had I known that then, yeah, had you. But our, our students... Maslow before Bloom. You went in there expecting the student to go straight to the evaluation process and the synthesizing and the homework and and what she just really needed was somebody to love on her. Mm -hmm. And then the more and more that we debriefed on it at the staff meeting, the more I realized that she trusted me that night at 1045-ish when... She could have called anybody else. Perhaps she did. Maybe they didn't pick up the phone. But for whatever reason, she her safety net, her safety blanket, she knew that she had a teacher there who would pick up the phone and help her through it. And so anytime I tell that story, I always try not to get emotional and cry because, like I said, I remember every little detail about that story. And uh, in the end... She needed Maslow's before Bloom. In the end, she could call on a teacher and that teacher was right there for her. And so fast forward, fast forward that to now with COVID, there are students in our, in our digital classrooms who have been struggling. There are parents in our digital classrooms who have been struggling. And we cannot expect the upper parts of Bloom's the evaluating and the analysis and the synthesizing if we're not even there for them with the basics of, of uh, Maslow. She needed some belonging, which is a Maslow thing. She found that community in that classroom. And by her doing that, that opened her up more to receive any type of teaching and learning that I could give her and that others could give her. But she wasn't going to get there until she felt the community, until she felt the security, until she just felt that basic need of food, rest, health. And so in this in this COVID life right now that we are all in, I really want to reach out to, to your, uh, I really want to speak to your administrators, to your decision makers, to your teachers. Like, I get it. I do get it. You still have to teach. You want to get all those standards in for the year because that's going to feel common. That's going to feel, that's your security. I've got to teach all these standards in this year. But if if there's ever been a year where the standards don't matter, it's this year. We got to ensure that our students are well cared for. Because once when they are, then man, they will they will break their leg trying to, trying to do what's right by you. And that's exactly what happened to this young student, man. Um, after all of that, she she became one of the favorite students 
in the classroom because she saw that I was more than just a teacher. She's like, man, he actually cared for my family and my well-being. Same with mama. Mama never used to come to the parent-teacher conferences. Mama showed up to every single one of them. Mama would call just to check in, vice versa. If I ever called mom, mom picked up the phone. Like they finally realized like we as teachers were not just teachers. We were those community members, those community leaders here to help and to serve. And I'm hoping that's what's happening uh, nationwide, worldwide. That our parents, that our administrators, that our community see that we are not just teachers anymore. We are actually here to serve the community. So that's your Maslow's versus Bloom's. Uh, that young lady was one of the smartest ones of that grade that year. She had the most growth. Of course, she passed all the standardized tests and stuff like that. But I mean, like she had this tremendous growth in academics after, after that incident. When normally the narrative is after an incident like that, you know, it takes a, a toll and, and the results don't happen. No, absolutely. You know, and, and Andre, I know you didn't even say it, but it's there. It's it's underlying, you know, this idea of relationships. And, you know, I, I'm going to take it a step further. And Sloan, if you're listening to this one, I'm going to credit you. It's clear that you had built a rapport, yeah. you know, with these students because, you know, the fact that she felt comfortable enough reaching out to you, you know, the, the, the steps you took, you know, it, and you're absolutely right. If we can pause and just make sure our kids are okay because it means nothing, right? If we if we push standards and we push skills and our kids suffer, yeah. it means absolutely nothing next year. If you know they don't trust us, yeah. if they're looking at us as just oh, you all you care about is making sure that you know you your grades are okay and the and the test scores are okay. But if we show them, look, I'm okay pausing this year. Yeah, because I care enough about you. You're absolutely right. Then when time comes to do business, they're going to step up and do business because time and time again, our kids have shown they're more than capable, more than capable. That old adage of uh, and I'm probably going to say this wrong. So <laughs> something like uh, students don't care what you know until they know that you care or something mm-hmm. like that. Man, if, if that if that's not the truth and that's what I really appreciate like that's what I'm loving about this digital online space that I'm seeing. Like a lot of the teachers are getting back to those basics of, man, how are you doing? Like one teacher I know, every time uh, she opens up her Zoom class, the first 10 minutes isn't bell work. It's how have you been? We're going to break you off into these small groups. Just catch up. What's life been like in your hood? What's life been like in your family? Talk about it for three or four minutes. Like just small things like that. And then they come back whole group. All right, share out. What are some of the cool things that you've been doing since the last time we had a Zoom class? Give me some of your your, your day. Like, let's just talk because this is not normal. And she said that there's been several times the kids have been on there crying. And she's like, we're just not going to teach the objective today. Yeah. I'll give it to you. This is what it looks like. It's in Google Classroom. I'll I'll do the lesson. The lesson is here. You can do the lesson later. But let me just give you a moment to stay in that space and feel your feels. And I honestly am not sure if that opportunity would be there if we were actually in school. I think we would try to get back to normal and, and back to how things were. 
But I, I can appreciate so many teachers doing things like that now where they're just giving time. Another teacher, every morning, they start off with uh, mindfulness strategies. Another elementary teacher, she starts the day with yoga. Chair yoga is what they call it. And like, okay, everybody, we're going to do some chair yoga before we start. Just, just different new ways, even though it's not really new, but just different ways of understanding it. This isn't new. This isn't normal. This is this is something different. So I can appreciate so many of our educators and administrators looking at it from that perspective and and still rocking school. Well, Andre, I want I want to say thank you. I mean, this idea of it isn't normal, and if, if we could r- simply wrap our minds around that, as so many educators are, right, and, and just trying to figure out what what is really happening in our students' lives. Yeah. And addressing that. And, you know, I, I wish, you know, I wish that I was in a position where I can make these these high level decisions across. Right. Just say, you know what, we're going to we're going to suspend, you know, the standards for a Agreed. while. Like we 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 just need to continue pushing that that voice out there. Maybe maybe somebody will listen. But um, look, before we begin wrapping up here, you know, Andre, I know that you are doing a lot of work outside of your classroom. You do a lot of work. you got some phenomenal videos out there. So can you share just a little bit about what else you're doing in the educational space? Yeah. So I left the classroom. Um, There were some um, educational budget cuts in the state of Oklahoma a few years ago. And so I left uh, my position with a district to become a full-time educational consultant. And so since then, I've had the opportunity to really serve districts near and far share with them the stories of triumph and, you know, the the thrill, the agony of defeat as well. You know, give them some solutions and strategies on how to serve black and brown babies in an elementary setting, how to uh, to serve the students who are shy, but really gifted and talented, like all of these different these different modes. So I get the opportunity to do workshops and keynotes and and speak and encourage and to inform and to challenge, you know, um, and even now still doing the same thing, but it's more digital where it's now webinars and online conferences and workshops. And for me, it's all about the work at the end of whatever I'm doing. I just really want to help encourage and challenge teachers and educators to continue to build relationships with students. And so that's exactly what I'm doing here. I do that. Uh, I do it unconventionally on YouTube because I know that we are in a gloom and doom time. And so I have a few videos on YouTube called Laugh a Little. And it's where I just find the funny parts of education because that was one of the things that saved me uh, during the year that I taught over 50 students. Had a lot of colleagues and we used to pull pranks on each other. We used to laugh and giggle and just clown. And that joy pushes you through when you're having some rough days. And so I try to provide that same joy and just find some funny moments in education and talk about them online. Uh, Another thing that I love to do is I watch movies a lot. And oftentimes the movies that we see, there are teachable moments in it. And so I call it the real lesson within, Mm R-E-E-L. And that is where you will just take a clip from a movie and then just pull out some of the learning lessons. And those clips can all be found on YouTube. So then you can use those same clips with your staff, with your colleagues, with your with your, your students, 
with your organization or whomever you are serving. Uh, and then the last one I do is something called Chew on This. And this is just where you you go through life and you find different perspectives. So then I share about it. And so one of them was I was trying to build a garden and man, I just suck at building a garden. <laughs> I was stinking, but I found myself growing frustrated. Uh, and then finally my garden started to grow. And then I had a whole bunch of learning perspective on on the actual process of growth and what it looks like. So then I share that and all, just, just different things and perspectives like that. And so uh, since I am no longer in the classroom, I still want to provide those teachable moments. And the ways that I do it is through YouTube and, of course, social media. Wonderful. And speaking of social media, if somebody wants to follow you, because I'm hoping, I'm hoping that they, they're Googling you right now as they're listening. Oh, man, that's cool. yeah. <laughs> What are some ways they can find you? Yeah, uh, so th- this is just their voice and choice. Depending on what part of life they want to see of Andre Dowdy, I'm cool with it. If they only just want education, that's on Twitter, Andre Dowdy. If they actually want to dig a little deeper into the life, like I have family members who are very militant. I have family ve- members who are very conservative. And I have teacher friends who are very conservative, teacher friends who are very liberal. And I find that I am a bridge of sorts for those worlds. Many don't understand or realize the world that Andre, as a black man, has gone through in America because they've never experienced it. So on Facebook, I openly share it and I openly invite those discussions. I openly, purposefully ask difficult questions so we can have the conversation. The only way, our, uh, in my opinion, the only way our nation is going to get better and heal is once we start learning about empathy. And the only way we're going to get empathy is when you hear from different stories. And so on Facebook, if that is you, you, you you're more than welcome to find me, Andre Dowdy, on Facebook. I also share a lot of funny gifts. I love gifts and I love uh, memes and I laugh a lot on there as well. Uh, same thing, Instagram. I've been on my weight loss journey for the last three years. So if you want to tap into my weight loss journey and pictures, that's on Instagram as well. So those are the main four that I use. And so I'm open to any and all conversations. I never block anyone. I never delete them. I just want everybody to learn. And I openly share my world with them so they can see different parts of America. Yeah. Well, Andre, I, I appreciate you coming on the show today. I'm so glad that we had a chance to connect and to talk. And I, I just want to say thank you for everything that you are doing. You know, uh, the time that you spent in the classroom, the time that you are spending now building up teachers and administrators, and just really having these real, honest, tough conversations. Yeah. Because like you said, nothing is ever going to change until we have these conversations and begin changing ourselves. So I want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's the narrative and that's how we counter it. Like we've seen what education looked like, but oftentimes education hasn't been the same for everybody. Just like how we've seen what America looks like. But for some people, there are two Americas. And so that's the conversations we are, we are going to continue to have. So I appreciate you having me on, man. No, not a problem. Now you take care and I look forward to our future collaborations. Sounds good.
I want to thank you for listening to the Counter Narrative Podcast. If you like what you are hearing, please be sure to like and subscribe. The show can be found on Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and several of your other favorite platforms. This podcast is also featured on schoolrubric.com, where you can find educational articles, videos, and interviews with educators from around the globe. Be sure to connect with the host and other listeners by following the show on Twitter at The CN Podcast and joining the show's Facebook group. Take care.